This is DMOU, Destination Marketing Organization University, the DMO Sector's podcast, and I'm your host, Bill Geist. DMOU is where you hear the best and the brightest in the destination marketing space, sharing innovative and compelling stories to inspire you to take your destination and organization to the next level. The format for our conversations on DMOU is elegantly simple. It's three questions and a bonus round. And today's episode is sponsored by our friends at Destinations International. We talk a lot about their annual convention and their summits, but there is so much more to DI's support for professional development. There are webinars, on-demand courses, executive level education through the EDI, CDME, and PDM programs. There's blogs, podcasts, and an opportunity to ask about and discuss topics most important to you on the online community. If you're a DMO professional and you're not a member, do yourself a favor, spend some time at destinationsinternational.org and learn about all the assets and opportunities you're missing through your industry trade association, Destinations International. And now it's on to our show. We have two guests for you today. John Groh is the president and CEO of the Rockford Area Convention and Visitors Bureau, a position he has held since July of 2009. Prior to joining the RACVB, he was executive vice president of the Rockford Chamber of Commerce. Within the destination marketing industry, John has served on the boards of the Illinois Council of Convention and Visitor Bureaus, Destinations International, and the Destinations International Foundation, including terms as chair of ICCVB and the foundation. Under John's leadership, RACVB has prioritized destination activation, which has resulted in CVB-owned and produced events like Stroll on State, a holiday festival that draws over 70,000 people to downtown Rockford, and Creative Transformation Art, a multi-site public art festival. RACVB's award-winning sports marketing program is also well-known and well-respected among other cities that seek to benefit from sports tourism. John got his BA from Bethel University and then earned an MBA from Northern Illinois University. He is a certified destination marketing professional and now teaches the advocacy and community relations course as a member of the program's faculty. Dave Harrell also joins us. He serves as the president and CEO of Visit Quad Cities, the region's official destination marketing organization charged with driving positive economic development opportunities through tourism. Prior to Visit Quad Cities, Dave led the city of Jacksonville's Office of Sports and Entertainment as their sports and entertainment officer. He was responsible for sports, the Office of Special Events, the Film and Television Office, and the city's public access venues. He led the operation of annual signature events such as the Florida-Georgia Game, the Jacksonville Jazz Festival, and the Sea and Sky Air Show, just to name a few. Dave has held leadership positions with the Arizona Sports Foundation, the Nashville Sports Council, and Music City Bowl, Inc. Through his career, he's been involved with hundreds of projects that have yielded more than $900 million in direct economic impact. He further served on the team that created the Nashville postseason collegiate bowl game, the Music City Bowl. He was also involved with the NFL relocation of the Tennessee Titans and the NHL expansion franchise of the Nashville Predators. Active in the community where he lives and in his industry, Dave was recently recognized as one of the most influential leaders in the region by the Quad Cities Regional Business Journal. He currently serves as chair of the Illinois Council of Convention and Visitor Bureaus and the Iowa Tourism Industry Partners Board of Directors. Dave, John, welcome back to DMOU. Great to be here, Bill. Hey, good to be here. Hey, it's great to have you both back as returning guests. This is going to be kind of like uh, SNL. We're going to have to create some sort of a jacket or a, or a, a sweatshirt or something that, that says multiple guests. So thanks for coming back. And this time around, though, rather than talking about your 
individual destinations. This conversation is really about how your DMOs in the state of Illinois worked collectively over the years to pass tourism improvement district legislation at the state level in Illinois. So, John, let's start with you to set the table because these discussions to authorize TIDs in Illinois started back in 2011. And the agreement ultimately to pursue the legislation didn't happen until 2015. So tell us why this was such a contentious concept. I mean, this is new money. And if the hotel community supports the idea, why was it so hard to move this needle over the past decade? Good question. And thanks for reminding me that it took so long. <laughs> the, you know, you said it's new money, and certainly it is, but it was also a new concept or a new idea. And I think while it was growing in popularity, especially on the West Coast, even to today, there's only one, you know, surrounding state in the Midwest, you know, around Illinois, Kentucky, that has active tourism improvement districts the way that most of the country knows of them now. And so it's, it was a new concept then. It's still a new concept. You know, in terms of new money, I think one of the things we think about with TIDs is the question around stability for tourism promotion funding and sufficiency for tourism promotion funding. And Illinois is a little bit different than most of the states in that, you know, the state of Illinois invests a portion of the hotel taxes that it collects back into what Illinois calls certified convention and visitor bureaus. And so not that the money is sufficient, but there had been stability for a long time in that grant funding program. Uh, and it's, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to, for some bureaus, over a million dollars a year in operating support coming from the state. And so, you know, I have that stability and sufficiency, you know, piece in my head, but also uh, there's been over the years uh, a desire not to upset the Illinois apple cart. Mm -hmm. We have a good funding model. It's working. Let's not do anything that could jeopardize that. And, and even today, some colleagues in the state are concerned about you know what happens when local officials or state legislators get a whiff that there's this other way of funding tourism promotion. And I would say it's just an additional way of funding tourism promotion. And when you know for all the reasons that TIDs have become really successful and, and popular because of the results they generate, ultimately we are able to move them through. There's also issues around you know sh Chicago is a major driver of everything political in Illinois. And in 2015, the county, Cook County, increased, you know, the countywide hotel tax by 1%, which pushed hotel taxes over 17%. And there's obviously sensitivity there and elasticity. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, over time, it, we just had to find the right time and the right partners and the right leaders to, to move it forward. And finally, we got there this year. So, Dave, you come into the equation, what, was it 2017? I came into the equation in late fall of 2018. 18. So you come in and you see the movement, albeit slow, towards this ultimate goal. You know, what did you see that maybe those DMOs that had been enjoying, and I got to say, all props to Illinois, the absolute best 
statewide tourism grant program in the nation. Always has been. But here's the thing is you come into this and you go, what, why is this taking so long? This makes perfect sense. Well, I think from my perspective, you know, just kind of coming in and being new to, you know, the, the market in the Quad Cities, but also getting a, a familiarity with the state of Illinois and people like John were just incredible in terms of you know, giving me the backdrop of how the political dynamic has operated from the framework of tourism. And Bill, to your point, that, that foundational support and investment level and the things done at the statutory level to invest in tourism, particularly with DMOs, it was helpful to have somebody like John that I could I could lean on and, and a few others to get a grasp on it. But the one thing that I always thought was really interesting was just the conversations that I had about the volatility of that program and certainly the fluid nature and the challenge of Illinois politics and the fact that a lot of the DMO leaders around the state always had an unsettled stomach on whether or not that funding could you know, go up in smoke. And so as much as it is such a, a great source of you know, revenue, in the Quad Cities, it's an interesting you know, dynamic for me. It's 17% of my operating budget. And to John's earlier point, there's a lot of DMO organizations that receive a significant more amount by percentage of investment into their organization. But for me, it's 17%, which is a, a big you know, chunk of cash. But I always, I, I felt very nervous about how things can rapidly change from a legislative standpoint. And so wanting to see what other states, what other communities, who was doing it right? What were some other solutions that were out there that could be pursued? And I always felt like, boy, if this is something that could make a lot of sense and create some additive value as an outsider, you know, why wouldn't we try to jump into this and figure out the right pathway to get this done? So that was really kind of my initial point of view you know, on that opportunity. So you've got this kind of laborious, and I don't want to take a shot at Illinois in any way, shape, or form. I mean, Wisconsin is still way behind the eight ball, even though now Illinois has passed, Minnesota has now passed, and my state of Wisconsin is kind of sitting on its hands. A lot of that because, sadly, the Innkeepers Association and the state DMO Association have historically not had the greatest relationship in the world, but... I mean, they can't get it done either. And so the fact that you did, and you did it fairly rapidly, I mean, there was this laborious, you know, seven, eight, nine years, and then all of a sudden, everything seemed to change with a couple of things. One is you had a new CEO at Choose Chicago. You also had COVID that kind of shook the foundation, and people began to realize, oh my, we need to figure out a different way to do this. So for those facing similar situations where it's really hard to move this kind of an initiative forward, what do you believe turned the tide for you? Well, I'll start and maybe John can round this out a little bit. I think those, those things, I think when you have a system shock like a global pandemic 
and how that manifests in shutting down an economy like Illinois and particularly in a visitor economy that quite frankly, you know, Chicago and how it's such a global, you know, player. When you see places like McCormick Place completely dormant and venues across the state, it, it gives you, I think, a sense of urgency yeah. to be thinking about how are we going to course correct moving forward to make sure that we're competitively positioned. And then, you know, with Lynn Osmond, you know, coming into her role and not being from the DMO, you know, space, she, she was new to our world. Mm-hmm. And I think she was asking a lot of the right questions early on of me and her colleagues. So I, I felt like that, that tipping point of these stars aligning with some change, mm-hmm. yep. but then also maybe that kick in the pants of, you know, folks, if we don't try to do something now with a real urgent kind of mindset, 10, 15, 20 years down the road, we are going to be so poorly positioned. It'll make your head spin. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of us understood the dynamic of that and knew that we had to act and act quickly. Yeah. This was your moment. Yes. I think we used the crisis and the new players. Yeah. You know, also, you know, and I think this is an important part to think about for any legislative initiative, TID or otherwise, is like when the players change, you might have a new opportunity to introduce the idea. So not only had Lynn come into her role at Two Chicago, Michael Jacobson, you know, two years before that had come in or a year and a half before had come in to be the new CEO of the Illinois yep, Lodging right. Association. From his former vantage point at U.S. Travel Association, he had seen TIDs across the country work and he was open to it. And he was able to talk into, you know, the bigger hotels in Chicago, as well as, you know, when we got to the point with legislators, an openness. And while IHLA didn't initially endorse, they were open. We also had, you know, historic changeover in our Speaker of the House in in Illinois, as well as the Senate president, you know, within the past you know, two years had changed. And we got a new governor who was, you know, newer into Illinois. You know, he, he was installed in 2019. And so while it had languished for many years, when the opportunity arose, there were players who were eager to help the industry and who were at the time, and I think still working really well together. And so we took advantage of not only the moment and the crisis and the opportunity because we knew it would be good for the industry, but also, you know, the opportunity to socialize the idea and move it forward with new players. Yeah. You know, interesting that uh, Dave, you said that, you know, Lynn came in from a non DMO background and was able to ask some interesting questions that probably for those of us that had been in the industry for years and years and years, you know, there's just a certain, that's the way it's done. And it reminds me, and this is going to sound really horribly naive, but I was. So when I joined the DMO ranks, we were in in Illinois and trying to increase that LTCB grant program that we've referred to that has been such a holy grail for so many, and it has been such an amazing program. But in the very beginning, it had been capped. The legislature capped the first iteration at $3 million, even though it was generating way more than that. 
and we were trying to get the cap moved to $8 million. Mm-hmm. And I was, I don't know, four, five, six months into my my term at my DMO in Illinois. And I hadn't said much because I really didn't know what I was talking about or what I was thinking. <laughs> and at one point, everybody was talking around the table about whether we should try to move this initiative forward, whether we should try and eliminate the cap. And at some point, one person said, well, Arnie at the Illinois Hotel and Lodging Association will never go for this. And I raised my hand and I said, who's Arnie and why do we care? (laughs) And everybody just looked at me like, what? And then all of a sudden they went, you're right. (laughs) Why should we care what Arnie thinks? Let's just go ahead and let's get this done. And we did. And I'm, I'm not taking credit, just that. Oftentimes, when a new player comes in and asks those questions, sometimes things begin to move. So if you had it to do all over, and I mean, you know, we're really glossing over. I mean, it, this would probably be a three-hour episode if we talked about all the nooks and crannies you guys went through. But let me ask you, I mean, you got it done. You got it done this session. If you had it to do over... What did you learn from this process that you would encourage other states to be mindful of, to make sure that either you do this or you don't do that? I think from my perspective, I think you got to have a foundational strategy and you really have to understand the approach that you're going to try to drive home as it relates to not only building a plan, but bringing the right partners and creating that, um, that alliance and that coalition that you need. And it is very multi-layered. In the DMO space in Illinois, there are 37 you know, destination organizations you know, operating of all shapes and sizes. And you know, Bill, that, that LTCB funding now is up to $22.5 you know, million and yeah. formulaic and it is, is so important as a baseline for our organizations, but it is still volatile. And I think not only that strategy and that plan and making sure that you've got the right you know, alliance around the table, both from a legislative perspective, and we are fortunate to have people like you know, uh, Senator Sarah Feigenholz and Representative Ann Williams and a whole host of folks, Speaker Welch, President Harmon, certainly Governor Pritzker, as part of this, and, and then a lot of people around the state from the elected you know, standpoint working with us. But I think just you know, how you build consensus, um, what is the communication strategy look like, having the right you know, public affairs and lobbying team that are, are in it. But I also feel like you have to do your homework and you have to have that institutional you know, knowledge base. So you know, Civitas was, was critical to that piece of the puzzle. But I think what, what I'm proud about is the people that were so engaged with trying to move this needle really understood the mechanics of a tourism improvement district, really took the time to get to know the opportunity and engage with it. And then that helped us think through how we were going to put measures that were protective for our industry moving forward. So I, I think you got to start with that funnel of what are the outcomes, but having that strategy and building the right you know, alliance around the table to try to move it forward. And then also you got to be willing to have a little social capital, political capital and, and will to make it happen, knowing that hopefully 
the end game is going to benefit the industry for the long run. It might not myopically benefit my own individual, you know, community um, at a certain moment in time in the here and now. But for the long term, it's something that is uh, going to create a lot of value for the state of Illinois. And that, that's probably what I'm most pleased um, to see become realized. What were some of the unconventional or unusual suspects that joined in the crusade? As destination marketing organizations, we realize that we're not just about tourism. We're about quality of life, quality of place, workforce development. I mean, you know, the umbrella is so broad. Were there other community development agencies, state development agencies that began to see the, the reality that this could actually help them too? Interesting question. I don't want to say no, but I will say I'm not sure. To date, now we're eight months past when the enabling legislation was passed and then assigned about a month after that. So no Illinois destinations have actually enacted a TID, but there are several who are now working on it. I will say there are several who are a few who are working on it who maybe weren't quite so sure about the idea, but now that they have the opportunity, they are. So that's great, <laughs> I guess. And, yep. you know, I, I would say one of the, you know, in terms of partners, one of the things, and just to go back to your last questions of like, what would you do different or what would you encourage others to do is just to push, push, push. And at one point we had to make a strategic decision. It was in December Um, We were trying to get through what's called the veto session, and it was just a short window of a couple of days where the legislature was, you know, meeting before the holidays. And, you know, to keep the bill advancing, we had to amend the bill to not include attractions or restaurants, and it really just got streamlined only to hotels. And that was because we were trying to push, push, push to get it done and we were concerned based on some of the feedback we were hearing of, you know, the doomsday scenarios of what if this and what if that, that weren't really realistic, but we didn't have enough time to meet our overall deadline to get everything passed and keep opposition from coming at us and keeping, you know, what those partners would be aligned with us. You know, we were trying to get it done in that current legislature. Uh, they adjourned, you know, just a few weeks later in early January. Um, so we would have had to start the whole process over again. Mm-hmm. And so while, while I think there will be partners that come to the table who understand, you know, the benefits of TIDs, we had to move, you know, quickly in some ways that uh, streamlined the number of outside groups that we were working with to move the bill forward. Well, and you mentioned earlier that you had some opposition from some legacy DMOs that were not way out there in in the hinterland. I mean, they were, you know, seriously visible DMOs that had a voice and they, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they had concerns. And at the same time, in talking with John at Civitas, I know one of the things he's most proud of and I think, John, you said this to me when it passed, the day after it passed. You said, we probably have the best TID legislation as far as guardrails in the country. Because that's always the concern, right? Is you create a new funding source mm-hmm. and then government will say, well, great, thank you. We'll take the room tax back. Right. And you've actually created guardrails uh, probably more... 
aggressive than most states. And that helped get you across the line with some of the DMOs within your state that were initially opposed. And with legislators who saw what we were trying to accomplish and understood the concerns that were being expressed by some of our DMO colleagues, uh, but really you know, felt as I did, as our legislative committee did, as our lobbyists did, that we were crafting a bill, you know, structure that would protect to the greatest extent possible Illinois certified CDBs. You know, there was a concern of opening up TIDs to chambers and downtown groups and those things. And we have essentially a two-tier system in this bill that does protect the, you know, certified uh, bureaus. That's what we call them in Illinois. And uh, I'm really proud of that. I think we have the strongest bill that protects convention and visitor bureaus, destination organizations in the country. I think that will turn out to be true over time. Uh, and we're looking forward to seeing that uh, be, be the reality. You know, I think the only thing I would add to that, you know, Bill, is I think we did a good job of, you know, listening to our colleagues and understanding their concerns, and then also making sure that that level of communication was as robust as it possibly you know, could be. We worked with the Department of Commerce and Economic Opportunity. We, we shared where we were with the governor's office to make sure that they understood the dynamics of what we were trying to accomplish. But within our destination organization space, we did everything in our power to have as much teeth in that bill as we possibly could. And, you know, no legislation, no law is perfect, but I, I really felt like we did exactly what we intended to do. And that was to try to position our industry in the best position it could be to be effective and create more value. And what I what I really liked about this whole process, because, you know, we had to testify a few times, we had to go through, you know, some very challenging communication exchanges with a variety of partners, stakeholders, you know, colleagues, et cetera. It really helped elevate the narrative of why DMOs are so critically important, not only in their respective communities in terms of doing the things that we do at the local level, but from a state standpoint and being these economic development engines across every corner of the state of Illinois, we were able to elevate our profile, which I think is just you know great for our space, but I think certainly creates a lot of value as we think through how do we you know continue to move forward with partners like the Illinois Hotel Lodging Association or the Illinois Restaurant Association or our arts organizations, all of these folks that we are working with every day, I think they know that all we're trying to do is to invest more into marketing and promotion and business development to grow our economy and build the brand. And so I thought the story of this was also kind of the icing on the cake, along with the law that we were able to get passed. So the three questions in a bonus round format it really conspires against a topic like this with the two of you. I mean, we could go, as I said earlier, we could go hours on all the nooks and crannies of all this. What are we missing right now? What, what would you like to make sure that our listeners understand 
if you haven't gotten this kind of legislation to allow for T-bids to happen in a state, what are some of the things we haven't touched on that you felt were key to the win? Whether it's a T-bid or any legislative initiative at the state level, at the local <laughs> level, whatever, I think sometimes you really do have to realize that it's probably going to be a multi-year process, especially when you're introducing a new idea or something big. It's really hard through legislative politics and cycles to, to move things really quickly. So I've learned that over time, that it will probably take a few cycles through your legislature to introduce a concept, to refine a concept, to bring partners on board from throughout, you know, especially if it's a state issue throughout your state, uh, because it has to be good for all areas uh, to get legislators to buy on. You know, I think it's super important to have strong lobbyists, uh, which, which we did, you know, to have a strategy to identify partners, to have good advisors like we did with Civitas uh, to move the process along. And, and then to know that, you know, there's going to be hurry up and wait. And then, you know, ultimately it did, you know, it went fast in the last couple of weeks where you're drafting legislation or redrafting or answering questions from staff in, in, in the Capitol at all hours of the day or all days of the week. And you just have to be available to, you know, that if you really want to move it forward. But it takes time, have the right partners, the right advisors, and be patient. But then when it's go time, be ready to push, yeah. push, push. Dave? Totally agree with John. I just, I think if you're not trying to drive innovation at all levels in our space, then you're really doing a disservice to the industry that you work in, but also the community that you serve, the state that you're a part of. And, and I felt like for me that if we're not innovating, if we're not putting things on the table um, as much as we can to have real thought leadership around these things that might not always be um, the easiest thing to get done, but to John's you know, point, create a legacy for whoever's in my chair after me, et cetera. I, I think that's where we need to, to land. And I think whether or not a TID works in the Quad Cities or, or not, because Bill, as you know, we've got to figure out the Iowa piece, which will be very right. unique for us. I'm just hopeful that whoever wants to pursue these and create those local district plans that they're going to be incredible value generators over the long term, over the next, you know, 10 to 15 years. But that doesn't mean that we should be complacent yeah. because what's that new thing that could create more of an opportunity and more value and continually do things to, to grow our missions and serve the people that we serve. And so I, I just feel strongly about that in terms of the legacy that we should be trying to create. So crystal ball time as we wrap this up. Uh, neither one of you have actually implemented a T-bid, even though the legislation allows you to. Who's going to be first in Illinois? Is anybody handicapping that race? We, we probably should, because I think it'd be fun. <laughs> and maybe we can use it as a way to create more revenue for, um, for some of us. Peoria has been out there in front of it. Our board and our community has been talking about this for a few years and have even had um, Civitas in on a few times to have some listening sessions and, and try to really educate our community. I'll say this, 
from a Quad Cities perspective, I'm going to do everything in my power to get the Iowa piece of the puzzle figured out because I want to be the first bi-state regional destination to have a TID. And, and that's something that aspirationally, you know, we want to, to achieve. So I'm going to go ahead and be that guy to say um, we're going to be first. <laughs> okay, great. And John, you were probably the first one who actually bridged the topic. What about you guys? Yeah, we, we worked on it hard, especially in 2020, and ultimately dialed it back because we, we needed better state legislation than the construct of old legislation that existed for special service areas. So while I want it to be Rockford, and I hope it will be within the next year or so, sure. my money's on Springfield because they have a new mayor and Scott Dahl's doing great work there. They want to expand their convention center and uh, they have some eager uh, local officials who are working on it. And I don't know, I, I think it might, it might be them, but uh, there, yeah, there's probably, I think I counted nine uh, destinations that are in, in some way, shape or form exploring it uh, formally learning about it, uh, kicking the tires. Um, I hope it's us, but uh, where uh, Springfield is right now, it might be them. So okay. We'll have to see. Shoot. As long as they don't put it into sports marketing or sports facilities, <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> so, okay, time for the bonus round question. And again, uh, this is a little different, but you are both dear friends and fierce competitors for both the sports market, the leisure market, the meetings and conventions market. What I'm going to ask you both to do in the bonus round question is I want you to rave on the other destination. Tell me what you like about Rockford and Quad Cities. John, you want to go first? Hmm. Do I have to? No. <laughs> that took too long. All right. So, so I can say this. Um, Mississippi River flows through the Quad Cities. And Dave, how many Quad Cities are there? I mean, it's not, it's, it's not a conventional answer. You have like 72. In our branding, we talk about we're a family of communities, but technically we say 58. There are five large metros, but there are technically 58 communities within the QC. All right. So the, the, the five quad cities, you know, the Mississippi River runs through, which makes for like, you know, downtown Davenport, downtown, you know, Rock Island and Moline. You know, it, it is cool. Like there's these like cities that grew up that have unique um, neighborhoods unique downtowns, so close together. You know, uh, Dave and his wife, Connie, hosted uh, myself and my wife a couple months ago now for a Chris Stapleton concert. Uh, we had a great time. I was surprised at the number and the quality of like boutique hotels they had, which makes their downtowns unique. Uh, you know, they do have, I will say this, and as a competitor, it kind of ticks me off. They have a really great sports complex, the TBK Sports Complex which is, you know, making some noise in the sports market. Uh, also, there's great corporate support, I notice, in the Quad Cities. Obviously, it's the home of John Deere, and uh, that uh, strong corporate support, I think, drives good civic leadership and, you know, civic culture that is, I think, helping Dave and his board get some cool things done these days. So, um, good destination. Yeah, and it, and it has that persona thing right that there's a there's a rock island persona there's a davenport persona and they're very different even though you can see the other one from across the river <laughs> but it's just it's a different vibe and it's fun you 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 have different experiences as you move through the quad 
And yeah, I, I always love uh, telling people that, you know, the five cities of the quad cities. That's just because they're so darn inclusive. They can't leave anybody out. <laughs> That's right. Right. <laughs> Dave, talk to me about Rockford. You know, um, it, it's never fun to follow grow. I mean, it's <laughs> well, just much true. more articulate. But, you know, I, obviously, you know, Rockford is a very, you know, special place that has an amazing, like, historical, you know, context to it. I, I love the old buildings. Um, I love the, the, the walkability of their downtown. I think it's very, very unique. And, and certainly John and his team, you know, quite frankly, I think punch way above their weight from a destination organization perspective. And it's why it's why Rockford and it's why, you know, John leading that destination have gotten a lot of national, you know, notoriety. But when I think about Rockford, you know, I, I think of really cool branding things that they've been able to to leverage. I, I think of the peaches. Yeah. I think of what they've been able to do in sports. I, I think they're in a, a highly innovative organization. And I think out of all the, the DMOs that we kind of know and that we're connected to, they do a great job on the place making components of what we're connected to. Their mural program yeah. is, you know, not only off the charts creative, but how it's operationalized. It's it's definitely a must experience and how they bring events to life. You know, I think in the event space, John and their crew do a great job, you know, stroll, although I've not, you know, been to it before because I've never technically been invited. <laughs> it's such a tradition from a holiday standpoint and the amount of people that participate that in that and that civic pride that's garnered is fabulous. And the one thing that I love about Rockford that is definitely like if, if thinking about bucket list things, right, like that you have to do. Their arboretum and their botanical garden. And John, what's the official yeah. name so I don't butcher it? Well, there's Clem and there's uh, Anderson Gardens. Yeah. So, like, they have these two amazing assets that are very, very special. Um, both of them, you know, Anderson, I think, probably gets a little bit more notoriety. But I think for those that aren't familiar with Rockford, if you go to those, you're, wow, I'm in Rockford, Illinois. And I think they get that from a national perspective, the people that have been to that community and have experienced those assets. And so I love it there. I think it's definitely um, a very special place and it's very close to the Quad Cities. And kind of the running joke is um, a lot of times we'll be talking to people outside of the Quad Cities and, and we'll talk about all of our communities and they'll say, yeah, I love being in the Quad Cities. Like Rockford's great. And we're like, well, we, we think you mean Rock Island, uh, but they're close and we love them, but they, they just do such a phenomenal job and is uh, somebody not only that we compete with, but uh, we're, uh, we're fortunate to call, you know, colleagues and, and friends and they just do an amazing job. Yeah, yeah. thank you. Really do. And hey, for me, Rockford, my tailor is in Rockford, actually right across the street from John's <laughs> office. And you, you got to love a bald guy who's named Curly, right? Actually, he recently <laughs> retired, but, but uh, he was my guy for, for years and years and years. I would always get my suits in Rockford because he was my man. Hey, guys, thank you so much. Uh, thanks for sharing the, uh, the Illinois story on getting legislation at a statewide level passed 
Uh, I think it's a, a great playbook for any other state that's looking to do that. And, you know, every state is different. Uh, you know, I, to Dave, you're, you know, Iowa has chosen not to pursue legislation, instead doing more of a voluntary thing in some communities. That seems to be working in some. And so it's going to be different for everybody. But I think that your analysis of what worked and where the challenges were is a great example for all of us. So thank you guys for coming on and talking about it. Thank you, Bill. Appreciate all you do. All right. That's it for this edition of DMOU. Tell your friends and peers, this is where the best and the brightest come to share their stories. It's DMOU.com. And thanks again to our sponsor, our friends at Destinations International. We talk a lot about the annual convention and summits, but there is so much more to DI's support for professional development. There are webinars, on-demand courses, executive level education through EDI, CDME, and PDM programs. There's blogs, there's podcasts, and an opportunity to ask about and discuss the topics that are most important to you on the online community. If you're a DMO professional and you're not a member, do yourself a favor, spend some time at destinationsinternational.org, learn about all the assets and opportunities that you are missing through your industry trade association, which is Destinations International. DMOPros.com is where you're gonna find links to our services for the DMO sector, links to the Z News, position papers on board diversity and a new model for destination development, the book called Destination Leadership and the biggest DMO job board on the planet, plus access to past episodes of DMOU. That's DMOPros with a Z.com. And regardless of the platform on which you access DMOU, be sure to subscribe so that you're alerted the moment new episodes drop. The executive producer of DMOU is Terry White, and this is a production of DMO Pros. I'm your host, Bill Geist. Until next time. <music>